Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our great God is indeed robed in light, clothed in splendor. He is uh, holy and pure, and we uh, have defiled ourselves. So we turn to his word to uh, see how he calls us to confess our sins. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 today, uh, when uh, Samuel goes to Jesse's house and looks at his sons, and God is going to anoint one of them as king. The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Thus far the reading of God's word. When the Bible introduces us to Saul, we'll see today, uh, we learn that he is rich and tall and handsome. He looks like a king. Samuel makes this mistake later here in this verse, thinking the best looking firstborn will be king. But God sets him straight here. People, we, we tend to judge things by what we see on the outside too much. God knows the heart, and he judges what he finds there. Nationally, in this political convention season, this is an easy thing to see happening. The uninformed voter swayed by the look or the feel of what they see on the screen, while the politicians speaking deliberately avoid talking about policy often. Personally, too, we need to learn to see through the slick marketing, the image presented to us. Be careful also that you aren't presenting to others an image that is more spiritual than is true. Uh, When God looks on your heart, what does he find? Uh, More than we can see, for one, we know the Lord knows ourselves better than we do. Two, he finds godly desires that his spirit put there in the first place. And God also finds desires that fight him, that resist him. So let us confess our own sins before Almighty God now. I encourage you to kneel as you're able, and I'll pray a prayer of confession this morning. We've been going through a sermon series in 1 Samuel. I took a break last Sunday, and Pastor Harold filled in for us. That was much appreciated. Thank you for that. And we're uh, returning now to Samuel, chapters 9 and 10. I, I don't know. I guess I feel like I have to make up for lost time and preach on two chapters instead of just one. don't know. No, it's actually a, it's a unit. This section goes together. So a bit longer of a reading today. Uh, it's, a, it's story form. Enjoy the story as we read God's word now. 1 Samuel chapter 9. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bekorah, son of Aphia, a Benjamite, Benjaminite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost 
So Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you and arise, go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there is a man of God in this city, and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true, so now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up to the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to the draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city, because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him, before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city, and as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them, on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have seen my people, because their cry has come up to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it, he it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go, and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, Put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. 
Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of the Lord, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that the Lord has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of, of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found. And now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that you shall come to Gibliath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings." Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him. And the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that, that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses. And you have said to him, set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your thousands. And then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. But when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, Is there a man still to come? 
And the Lord said, Behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king. Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship. And he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah. And with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present. But he held his peace. The grass withers, the flower fades, but this word of God stands forever. Amen. Well, here we have a new section of Samuel. We've been looking at Samuel judging Israel. The focus has been on him and on Eli and on the ark. And now Israel has asked for a king and Saul uh, is brought forth. Uh, if you see in the bulletin, I believe I've got the outline there, and it might explain why I wanted to read two whole chapters as I did. It's really one unit, and we've got the same kind of sandwich theory going. A chiasm is the technical word for it. You have Saul at the beginning, introduced, Saul at the end, exalted, uh, inaugurated, right? Exceeding to the throne. You have Saul leaving Gibeah, returning to Gibeah. You have uh, Samuel announcing Saul's future, and then after the middle, he's again announcing Saul's future and anointing him. And in the center of it all is the feast, uh, where Saul is uh, put in the favored place. So that's the outline of this uh, unit here that we've just read through. Uh, the main theme, we see God's providence in providing a king for Israel. And for us, we see ourselves adopted as children of God to reign in his kingdom. And that's signified, again, by the meal on the high place. So uh, Saul is a type of Christ in one way. He's also a, a picture of ourselves, adopted as children of God uh, in Christ, who also uh, are placed in a favored position at that meal. That's a quick summary of the whole thing. And there's, of course, there's a lot of text here. We could go into a lot of this. Uh, but we're going to uh, hold ourselves back and uh, look at the main points here. Saul is introduced first, first two verses of, the, of chapter 9, from a rich family. He's tall. He's handsome. Uh, all the outward traits are there to be king. Uh, Saul is also from Benjamin. Uh, that's said twice in the very first verse, and it comes up often in the rest. It's Saul's first objection to Samuel. I'm from Benjamin. Why would you pick me to be the king? Benjamin's the smallest tribe out there. And why is a king coming from Benjamin instead of Judah anyway? Because there's all the prophecies before Samuel saying that a king will come from Judah. I don't have time to go into it in detail, but in Genesis 35, we get a hint of that. Uh, God appears to Jacob at Bethel and tells him that kings will come from his body. That's Jacob, right? The father of the 12 tribes. The very next thing that happens is Benjamin is born, and then Rachel dies on the road to Bethlehem. So it's the same kind of pattern there in Genesis 35 that we see um, occurring here in history. Ben, a man from Benjamin is the king first, but then it's on the way to Bethlehem. 
where David's from, where Christ is from. Same kind of patterns. It, it's amazing, God's providence, how in his history he sets up those kind of patterns uh, that, that, that show these things. Well, Saul is not only from Benjamin, he's also from the town of Gibeah. That's at the very end of the text, chapter 10, 26. I don't know if you, that name rings a bell, but Gibeah shows up in Judges 19. Remember the end of Judges, all those horrific things that happen? Certain men of the city, Gibeah, uh, this, this guy is traveling, trying to get someplace. Night comes, and he has to stop at Gibeah. And, and the, the uh, J- Judges 19 says, Certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They said, Bring out the man who came to your house, that we may know him carnally. That awful event took place in Gibeah. And Gibeah was the town that defended that action. And Israel came to them and said, What are you doing? And they fought instead of repent. And Israel went into a civil war. Israel nearly wiped out the entire tribe of Benjamin because they protected and defended a great perversion of the Gibeonites. Saul's hometown is that same town. Saul goes home to Gibeah. The new king is going to be from Gibeah? Can anything good come out of Gibeah? just as Nathaniel thought about Nazareth. God chooses the foolish and despised things of the world to confound the wise. Very often, he works in mysterious ways. Saul leaves Gibeah in verses 3 and 4. Saul there listens to his father. Uh, That's a a key theme, not just a moralistic one, I don't think. But remember, this is a a theme of Samuel, uh, the book of Samuel. We're looking for a faithful son, right? Eli's sons wouldn't listen to their father. Samuel's sons don't listen to him. And it's some adopted son comes in to replace and be faithful. Here you have the first king looking like who is listening to his father. First thing that's mentioned about him. He's obeying, he's diligent, he works at it for three days and then he has the wisdom to not make his father worry too much in other ways. (laughs) So sometimes we get this idea, we know how Saul ends up And so we set up this strong contrast. Well, Saul looked good, but he was rotten to the core on the inside from the start. And that's a bit of a distortion. Saul's decent, right? He's working hard at this. He's doing what he can with the knowledge that he has. Uh, So, yes, Saul leaves Gibeah. He's he's listening to his father. He seeks the prophecy when they can't find the donkeys. Saul hesitates to go to Samuel in the first place because he's got nothing to offer him. Right? You don't bring a whole lot of cash along when you're just going looking for donkeys. That's not really a cash-rich activity. So he just thought he was looking for the donkeys. So Saul hesitates. And also notice here that Saul seems to know almost nothing about Samuel. He doesn't know Samuel's in this town. When he meets him, he doesn't recognize him. So there's something amiss there. So Saul is not really in tune with the spiritual workings of the nation. Uh, there may be a, 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 a hesitation there about what Saul is like, what, where his priorities are. But he doesn't want to go to see Samuel because he doesn't have any money, right? And that ought to be a reminder to us uh, to not rely on what we can offer to God in the way of our resources, our obedience, right? The old hymn puts it, nothing in our hands we bring, simply to the cross we cling, right? Saul had nothing to offer as God was planning to make him the king. 
So uh, it's, it's a good lesson for us. Too often we focus on our pedigree, our background, our education, our refinement, a spotless family history, whatever it might be. Uh, but that focus defines all kinds of saints out of reckoning with God's people. Ruth the Moabite, Rahab the harlot, Mary Magdalene, the same. If we believe God can sovereignly regenerate anyone's heart so that they believe and they serve the true God alone, then why is it surprising that people with spotted pasts would come to him at the 11th hour? That is the New Testament theme, the same idea here of Saul going to Samuel with nothing in his hands, coming from Gibeah of all places. And he's the one that God has already told Samuel, this is going to be the king. Wow, what providence. That Saul is unknowingly brought into God's plan while he's focused on some smaller thing, right? He's, he's focused on getting these donkeys back. He wants something from God. He's willing to pay for it. But God has something else in mind. Again, how, how like us that can be. Uh, Samuel is not a vending machine for God, right? Insert quarter shekel, out comes location of donkeys. That's kind of what Saul seems to be thinking. Uh, we see Samuel uh, can do this kind of thing, right? Samuel gets very detailed about the events in the immediate future for Saul. It's amazing what, how he does that. But, but is that how we define our relationship with God? God, I've lost my donkeys. I need to find my donkeys back. Oh, there they are. Thank you. And we have all these short-term, small-focus details that we're focused in. I need this now. This is hurting. I have stress over this. Lord, help me. And that's the, that's the scope of our, our vision. It's whatever's in our personal lives. God has a greater, grander plan that he's working. God uh, brings Saul into that plan. So uh, Samuel announces Saul's future, uh, verses 15 to 21, uh, getting towards the end of chapter 9. And in verse 16, God's words to Samuel are almost the same as they were to Moses uh, when Israel was in Egypt. Right? God says, I've heard their cry. I've heard their cry, verse 26. I've seen my people. Their cry has come up to me. It, it's, and this is how great literature works, and the Bible's no exception here. There's, there's just an, an allusion to some other work, and all of a sudden that brings up everything that's going on in that other work, and oh, that's what they mean. Oh, that's what they're getting across. What, what, what God's getting across in that one short little verse is that, yes, Israel's in the promised land, but they still need a Moses. Not, you know, the cliche, right? They've gotten Israel out of Egypt, but now they have to get Egypt's ways out of Israel. Israel still needs a Moses to defeat the Philistines. There's an outward threat like that to cleanse and purify them of things that happened in Gibeah, for example. Israel still needs a Moses. They still need a ruler. God arranges these things for us ahead of time. And we should live aware of that. That's what God is doing there in verses 15 to 17. He says, God says to Samuel, tomorrow you're going to meet this guy. He's the one. God arranges it ahead of time. Think of your week coming like that. We don't always hear the word from God, but we know he's arranging things. What has God set up for you tomorrow? Uh, for, for, uh, and again, we, we can't know what's coming ahead, but we should live aware that God is planning it. So uh, they meet Saul and Samuel. 
that Saul uh, is put in the seat of honor. Right? Everybody's waiting for Samuel. The women at the, at the well are going up to the city uh, really stressed this. Yeah, they're having a feast today, but they're not going to start until Samuel's there. It's all about how great Samuel is because he's, he's the esteemed leader of, of the community. He's, he's the kingmaker, literally, at this point. Right? So everybody's waiting for Samuel. And when, when he's there, then the feast will start. And when Samuel gets there, he turns and gives all the honor and favor to Saul. And Saul's standing around like, I didn't even know I was going to be here. <laughs> so so the, this feast, is, is where Saul is put in the, the seat of honor. Uh, it's mentioned, too, that he sleeps on the roof, which in our day may seem like a bad thing. That was actually the best place to sleep at that point. Saul is given the best of everything. Right? He's given the best place to sleep, the best uh, cut of meat at the feast, the best seat at the feast. Saul's given the best of everything because he's going to be the king. I mean, think of this like White House kind of stuff, right? That we spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars as a country to make sure that the people in the White House, the, the president, the first lady, have all the best of everything, and it's all just how it should be. It's kind of what Samuel is doing here for Saul. He gets the priestly portion, by the way, at the feast. Uh, it's, it's set aside for Samuel, who acts as the, the priest in Israel the, in these days as well. It's, there's not really a functioning priestly system, I don't think, mediating for the people. Samuel is doing that as he judges. And now he gives his peace to Saul. Uh, so uh, this is effectively adopting him as his son, as his successor, saying, hey, you can do this. You can do this office that I'm doing. You have my place. That's part of what Samuel is doing. He's passing on his office to Saul. Uh, if you remember the Psalm 2 uh, verse, right? We sing it often. Uh, Samuel is installing, God, uh, in, installing God's king on the hill, saying, now you're my son. I've begotten you. And he, re and he represents that. He seals that. He applies that adoption with a meal, with a feast. Same way God made covenant with Israel in the desert, as we read in Exodus 24. After the sacrifice, Moses explains the covenant with words. Then they go up to the high place. They eat and drink before the Lord. Same pattern. So uh, that's the feast. That's the central portion right there. And then Samuel anoints Saul privately. He doesn't even have a servant there to, to see that. This is, this is the, the, the pre-anointing before the public event that we get later in chapter 10, right? So the anointing here, uh, of course, you're probably aware, anointing is a symbol of the Spirit empowering one for office, right? The Hebrew word is Messiah. So Saul is Messiahed. He, he's made the ruler, the anointed one. And Saul tells him to do as the occasion demands. And that, uh, there's a lot wrapped up in that. A, a king needs to apply God's law in, in new situations sometimes. We see that with Solomon when he comes to the throne. And the two women who each claim the living child is theirs, right? Solomon's wisdom uh, goes, you know, there's no rule that tells Solomon exactly what to do for that situation. He uses wisdom to draw out uh, the truth. That's what kings need to do. So go to Gilgal, wait for me seven days. So here again you have Samuel and Saul now working in tandem. Samuel really instructing Saul on what to do, right? So you have, it's a son-father kind of thing. The son needs to be faithfully obedient to his father. 
Samuel tells him what's going to happen, what he needs to do. That, that, those are things fathers do for their children. Right? So even though Saul is king, and that means he can use his own wisdom as the occasion demands sometimes, it also means he has to wait for Samuel sometimes, that which we'll see in the future he doesn't do. So every leader is under authority himself. That's one principle to draw out of this, and that's obvious with Saul. Saul becomes a prophet, who is, and who's the father of the prophets? Well, we're not, the text doesn't answer that. We're not really sure if that means God, or it probably means Samuel, uh, or somebody else. We don't know. The point is that the new king is an adopted son, right? The, the anointed one. The anointed king has a father from whom he learns obedience. And so we're off to a good start in this text. Saul has uh, made the king. Is he going to pass the test at Gilgal is what's next. So Saul is a king under authority. A preacher like me is under authority to the other elders. The elders are under authority to each other. A parent is under authority to elders and to the state. A congressman is under authority to the Constitution, to his church leaders. That's the way things are supposed to go. Every leader under authority himself. So Saul receives these instructions. Everything happens as Samuel says. Saul goes from son of Kish to son of Samuel, the father of the prophets. And, and each of us, here's something that we need to glean from for our own lives. Each of us needs to make this transfer at some point. Right? We're adopted children of God. We've, if, when you're adopted, you've gone from one family to another. Right? Uh, often we have overlap. We, we seek to have overlap where our families are faithful and we don't, we're not adopted out of this family, but we're adopted into the family of God as well. And we also have a, a family with a, a heritage of the covenant uh, as well. But we need that personal adoption mentality. I've been brought in to this new family of God, just as Saul here has been. So uh, Saul prophesies. Uh, he's uh, doing the, the uh, pr prophetic function there. So notice th that he receives the priestly portion in the feast, and now he becomes a prophet and he prophesies, and he's going on to be a king. So you've, you've got prophet, priest, and king, all three in this uh, one section of scripture about Saul uh, beginning uh, his reign. Saul returns to Gibeah. That completes the cycle, the, the chiasm of the outline. Uh, we're not sure in this text, it kind of makes us chuckle. Why does Saul say nothing about his kingship to his uncle? You know, his uncle says to him, you talk to Samuel? You know, like I mentioned Piper earlier. That, that'd be like one of us saying just offhand, oh, I ran into John Piper the other day. What did you say? You know, that we, that's, it's that kind of thing going on. Uh, what kind of interaction did you have with Samuel? You got to see Samuel? And he just kind of shrugs it off. So, yeah, we found the donkeys. But you were just anointed king secretly, and he doesn't want to say anything about that. So we're not really sure what that means. If he's, that may be a good thing, that he's just modest, he's humble, he doesn't want to put himself forward. Uh, that happens to other kings of Israel as well. I think Jehoshaphat is an example where he is also secretly anointed and then he goes back to his party, and everybody's like, what'd the prophet want? Uh, nothing, he says at first. And finally, they squeeze it out of him. Well, he anointed me king. And everybody's like, okay, long live the king. So this isn't the only time this happens. And it may be a good thing that he's humble. It may uh, show some sign of timidity 
that he doesn't really want to step into this. Maybe it's a bad thing. It's a mixed bag. We're not really sure. Uh, but anyway, he's, he uh, holds that back from his uncle. Uh, now, on Inauguration Day, uh, that's the gathering at Mizpah, uh, verse 17 and onward, uh, Samuel, notice, does not hold back. Uh, and it, this is really awkward. Uh, just think about this, be, being Inauguration Day, and, and you have, you know, one of the noted religious leaders of the country stand up to give the opening prayer, and he basically says, Lord, this country has turned away from you and have rejected you. I need to repent. This is, wow. Uh, it, it, Samuel reminds Israel that they have rejected the Lord. He says it outright. And I would say that that's, that was a needed word. I needed to hear that. If, I've heard from time to time of even local pastors who have gotten to preach in, not preach, to give an opening prayer in Lansing. And they prayed that kind of prayer. And that's a great thing. That's a refreshing thing for the gathered assembly to hear that religious leaders out there think that they are not doing the right thing. It needs to be done. But boy, is it awkward. And boy, is it out of season, right? Paul tells Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. There are times to give a needed word, even if the timing isn't exactly right. Here you are. You're gathered together. You need to know this. So, uh, by lot, uh, Saul is chosen. Again, you have this awkward moment where Saul's hiding in the baggage. Same thing as not telling his uncle that he's anointed king. Uh, maybe that's modesty. Maybe that's timidity. We're not really sure. But it, it's a strange way to start off with your first king. That's, that's for sure. So, Samuel tells them the rights and duties of the kingship, writes them in a book. Notice that Samuel is still uh, passing the torch here. Samuel is shaping this. And that's a good thing. He's being faithful until his task is completed. And then Saul goes home to Gibeah. Uh, and, and men follow. Uh, some don't give him presents, which implies that most do, right? Uh, that's what's going on here is uh, Saul is consolidating some leadership. Uh, now it's not just a, a traveling judge going from one town to another. Now you've got a king who's got men following him, who's getting presents, He's gathering resources and, and administration. That didn't happen before, right? That, to put it in our parlance, there's a bigger government. And we often see that as a bad thing. But this is a move that God is mo moving towards. We want more resources around one leader so that we can defeat the Philistines. And that's God's providence. That's his plan. Well, back to Gibeah a minute before we close. Back in Judges, after Gibeah's atrocity... Who was it that fought against Benjamin? Israel makes a point of asking God, who should go and fight Benjamin? I mean, they're one of us. How, how do we do this, Lord? And God says, send Judah. Judah should go and fight against that awfulness. And where is Rachel's tomb? It's on the way to Bethlehem in Judah. That's where this story is leading, right? Once Saul collapses... Uh, then uh, uh, Samuel finds himself in Bethlehem in the house of Jesse, who has all of these sons, the last of which is David. Jacob prophesies in Genesis 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah. We have plenty of hints that this story isn't going to end with God giving a king from Benjamin. It's not going to be the, the, the last chapter. And our king, Jesus Christ, he has been anointed 
He has passed the test, being faithfully obedient to his father. And he's consolidating his reign, making his enemies his footstool. We are called to proclaim our loyalty to him. I may even do a part two on this and talk more about this because there's a lot of detail here about how Saul is like Christ and applies to us. Uh, but, uh, but we are called uh, to proclaim our loyalty to Christ. Let us bring him presence. Let us sit down at his table in his kingdom. Long live the true king. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for giving us a king. Thank you for your providence that rules every area of our lives. Thank you, Lord God, that you are uh, so in control, even of lost donkeys, of people that we meet on the street. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for holding us in your hand that not one hair of our head uh, is harmed or falls without your will. Lord, as we consider uh, King Saul, we ask that you would give us uh, a zeal for clarity, that we would uh, be a good witness, a testimony to those around us uh, of our true and godly intentions. Uh, when things are uncertain, uh, show us, Lord, how we can clarify. Uh, thank you for uh, giving to us uh, all that we have when we have nothing to give you. Thank you for being uh, so gracious, not only to remove your disfavor and wrath from us, but to grant us lavish favor to sit us at your table and make us kings and priests uh, to you. We thank you for all this, Heavenly Father, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, that we sing as he talks to you. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. God has adopted us as his children. He places us at his table as Samuel placed Saul in seats of honor. He gives each of us to be kings and priests. He puts us before us the best portion imaginable, the offering of his own son, the spotless, perfect sacrifice. So as you come, remember that you have nothing to bring but the faith that he gave you. Become as children who trust their parents to feed them at mealtime. Believe that Christ feeds you now as the Spirit brings us up to him and unites us to our Lord's body. It is with his body that we find eternal life. And the reason God adopts us is found on the table. His Son has cleared the way for the adoption, paid the price, qualified us, set us in his family, brought us in the door, seated us at the table. All we do is believe it is true and eat. Praise him, call on his name, and lift up the cup of salvation. 
So we invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you are acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope, save in the sovereign mercy of God, that you're trusting in Christ alone for salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.